how many different heavenly realms are there? It's like when we were about view this stuff, it's like, okay, well, there's a heavenly realm that seems to be different than this heavenly realm. The amount of dimensions and layers that we encounter in this is just, it just keeps going. One of the stories we were just talking about said is he went to a place, everything looked the same as in ancient China, but it was so peaceful and so serene and so wonderful. He didn't want to leave, but he couldn't right. stay there. In the Chinese culture, they're, they're keeping these stories more or less true. They're truer back to the source than they are in the Western world. Beings actually arranging the culture to be passed down and embedded into the culture as they move forward. Every story that we look at has some, some reality to it from the perspective of these beings who live within another dimension. So he went to look for that cave again, intending to find the immortals again. However, he could no longer find the cave. Yeah, because it was a portal. The lessons within that are infused into the story. So there's like this whole cultural side of it that goes into how the immortals teach. Journeys across vast lands and times may be written off as mere myths, like the Odyssey or Chinese folktales. However, some histories have been handed down through the dynasties from which we can extract hidden truths. What did Genghis Khan learn about cave people? What happened when a man in the Liu Song dynasty stumbled across another time space where Taoists lived to be much older than they should have been? Hear remote viewing data on portals and gravitational anomalies from John Vivanco. Check out investigative research into cultural stories from me, Rob Counts, and tune in for a metaphysical show that's out of this world. And are you listening to the Metaphysical Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or elsewhere? Leave us that five-star rating and review. It's going to help us reach more people. In fact, it really helps us a lot. And remember, in order to not miss one single episode, like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube, Rumble, Ganjing World, Twitter, and Facebook. John, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? Well, uh, we're, we're in a very strange land in these episodes, the land of China. We've been on the subject of inner earth strange stories. Um, we've probably done a total of uh, about six episodes so far. Yeah, it keeps getting weirder, I think. Well, uh, we, I, like the China, I mean, these stories are, are nuts because, you know, with the whole remote viewing thing on a lot of this stuff versus more Western stories, what we find is that like a lot of Western stories are are geared towards some kind of like lesson or to deliver a mythology, like truly a mythology, right? I mean, we do find that, that those things are based on a reality, but not all the time. When we get to the China stories, there's something different happening, especially the underground stuff. There's something different happening in that these stories seem to be, with remote viewing at least, based on a deeper reality or a stronger reality than what we find in the Western stories. So there's like a, a different mindset here when you get into the Chinese stories in them relating them. You know, what's really interesting about what you just said is, is the, the story of, of the Odyssey is a perfect example of that. It's like Homer was its author. It's a story that somehow bridges mythology with real life events and no one is really quite clear on how much of it is true and how much of it was Homer making a bunch of this stuff up to create an interesting story to leave lessons behind. It's a good kind of reference to bring up related to what you just said, because 
when you enter China, their mythology and their stories are one thing. It's not somebody made this up. Like these are accounts that we're bringing up of men that have brought these things forward and historians are recounting them, not as similar to Homer where he's like, here's the Odyssey. I was, he probably was even commissioned to write that by one of the, by one of the, the Kings, like Ovid did this a lot. The, uh, the poet, I may have pronounced that wrong. Excuse me if I have, where you find some of the uh, emperors or whoever actually paid him to create some of this mythology or this mythos that we right. then recount to one another. We're talking about stories right now that we've recounted that, that went from just a few years ago back to the Tang dynasty. And we're coming through from the Tang dynasty to modern day again and recounting some of these. Like, I got to wonder if it, if this relates back to Genghis Khan, where because you know when Genghis Khan was ruling, he was really he had this this mindset of allowing people to do to be in whatever religion and have freedom of expression through religion wherever he ruled. I mean, this is what he did, and so he was very um, tolerant of other religions, and so other religions flourished. I mean, you know, look at Tibetan Buddhism. Tibetan Buddhism, you know, he he really supported, and they went on to form their own country based on Buddhism, Tibet, right? It makes me wonder if like these stories, like they have less of an idea of trying to constrict things that, that are supernatural, that happen supernatural. And so that could be a big reason, like that could have been the groundwork for these stories, like staying more or less the same as what somebody experienced. Yeah, it's a really good point. And you know, it's really interesting you brought Genghis Khan up because one of the stories we're gonna tell today is, is about Genghis Khan and right. him meeting some really interesting characters that were were, I guess, hidden deep away um, in the in the recesses of the earth. So we'll be getting onto that today, you guys. But also, along with what you're saying, is the culture in China was so much different. Like it's really hard for me to. I can say these words and everyone at home can hear them, but until you like get in the headspace of understanding the Chinese culture and almost like being more one with it, it's hard to understand how much of a different land this is that we're talking about. And every single time I go digging, I will tap some of my uh, friends who speak Mandarin. They will help me translate some things. I always find new stories that no one's talking about, that no one has even realized are out there. I came across a poem from the Tang Dynasty the other day talking about how humans made the the moon. <laughs> what? No, but like when you go yeah. into disclo the disclosure world, not one person has brought up China or referenced China as a place to research, even start research right. on the moon. Is it that their memory goes back further than other cultures? I don't I don't know. But there are some really rich, interesting things there. A bunch of their ancient books that have been left over from prehistory seem to allude to a time that doesn't necessarily conflict with what we know about history, but it is massively like a totally different track and way of thinking than how modern people, you know, look at things. Yeah, I know. It's fascinating. It's crazy. And it's like it's it's untapped potential here in trying to understand these things as far as the Chinese stories go, because 
we kind of like run around on the same in the same circles as far as the same stories over and over again from the Western world. But this is totally untapped. And, and it's exciting, too. Like, I feel like metaphysical as a channel is just we're hitting on stuff that no one is no one's realizing is there, right. which is really exciting. Like I yeah. feel like it's partly an explorer in some of this. And it's, it's weird because you and I even have researched this stuff so much. I think because you've mentioned Genghis Khan, we should go straight into this story because, and then we'll come back to the song dynasty to recount um, or to tell uh, some of the historical uh, accounts of things that have happened there. It is the story of Chu Chu Ji. Okay, so Genghis Khan invited uh, Chu Chu Ji, a renowned Taoist master, to visit him, and the two had many in-depth conversations, the story goes. So Chu's disciple, Li Ji Chang, that's the guy's name, documented this trip in travels to the west of Chu Chang Chun. I guess that's the, the name of the, of the account here. So in Baiyun Temple, deep in a cave, there was a great meeting with good friends and boundless happiness, quote unquote. Okay, now such a cave might appear ordinary to earthly people, but it could be a favored location for immortals. Now, immortals would be beings who do not die. They're, they're divine beings, in other words. Like you could say an angel could be an immortal. That's how Chinese culture works, right? Now, in the book, it said on... Quote, on February 1st, 1224, we performed a religious ritual at Qi Yuang Temple in Jinshang in today's Yanqing District in Beijing, located on the south side of da Dahe Mountain. It, is beautiful, it has beautiful mountains and clear water, together with Uznia, a plant also known as Old Man's Beard, clouds and the moon. It was a place for Taoism. Okay, now along the way, Chu also encountered other immortals in different mountains. He wrote a poem to describe what he saw. Quote, the mountains are green and high, with immortals crossing day and night. Caves in the mountain are too deep for earthly people to enter, while we often hear immortals singing from the center of the cave. That actually wraps up the Genghis Khan part of this, John. So why don't you jump in, share your thoughts, and then I'll move on to another story. Yeah, when you know when when we have these stories about the immortals, because we were looking at with remote viewing, like what what is it that these people are experiencing underground with the reality of it? Every story that we look at has some some reality to it from the perspective of these beings who, and it could be different beings um, that 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 live within another dimension based off of some kind of frequency within the rock that is necessary for upholding that, that portal, that window to their world. And it's like these, these, and you know, it's, it's, it's like one story after the other, when we remote view them, it's like the immortals are something that exists in another dimension that are, are interested in, in a, in a deeper spiritual construct more on the side of heavenly realms. Now, how many different heavenly realms are there? It's like when we were about view this stuff, it's like, okay, well, there's a heavenly realm that seems to be different than this heavenly realm. The amount of dimensions and layers that we encounter in this is just, it just keeps going and going and going and going. And these are not, these are not myth stories, mythological stories to explain their culture. They're not that. 
In fact, I think this is where a lot of their culture comes from. Like when you get to Taoism, exactly. Buddhism and Buddhism and the idea of Shangri-La or Shambhala, that's the realm of Buddhism from in the heavenly realm of Buddhism. You get to Taoism, it's got this other realm, but they're, they're existing realms and they feed that practice, that religion, you know, because they do exist just like in Christianity, theirs heaven, their heaven does exist. We've seen this over and over. There are these higher dimensional, layered, higher dimensional realities. This is what I find really interesting about the old, the whole immortal thing underground in China, because a lot of it comes from underground. Literally, you can fall down a hole in China, go for a walk and end up in another realm. I mean, come on. Or, or talking, yeah, or talking to immortals, playing yeah, chess or something. Exactly. <laughs> like, okay, so. I want a mind to collapse on me. Dude. What's going on here? Like th this yeah. next story, this there's a couple of, of stories here that that are right along with this. It really bl blew my mind. So, you know, the question is, like, what exactly does it look like in one of these caves? OK, so there's a story in Taiping, Guanji. It tells of something that happened in the year 26 of the reign of Emperor Wen Song during the Liu Song dynasty. So this is 449 AD when. Wen Guantong from Chenxi County in today's Hunan province was a farmer. Once a wild boar was digging up his farmland, so Wen shot it with an arrow, but didn't kill it. Wen followed the injured boar all the way to a cave. After climbing down over 300 steps, the cave suddenly opened up with hundreds of houses appearing before him. An old man came out of one house. Are you the one who injured my boar? He replied, it was eating my crops. That's why I shot it with an arrow. This is interesting. It's, he says, quote, it is wrong for an ox to damage crops, the old man said, but it is wrong if one thus takes the ox as his own. It's like Chinese proverbs, right? Right. And then um, another version of this story, the old man replies with, it is not right if someone allows his cow to step on another's garden but it is even worse for you to steal the cow because it stepped on your vegetables. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so when agreed and he apologized and the old man pardoned him saying, it's good that you understand the truth of your mistake. This is the retribution that the pig deserves. So you don't need to apologize anymore. So the old man invited when inside to where over 10 scholars dressed in ancient clothing were listening to someone lecture. The instructor was teaching the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. So the Tao Te Ching, it's just that. It's called the, the, the Way, the Way by Lao Tzu. This is a very popular book that there really isn't a translation for. It's called the Tao Te Ching. I actually read this book when I was about 13 or 14 years old, and it completely blew my mind. Changed my life, actually, to be honest. Just looking at things that way, it opened something up that was there, I think, already. But it was like really blew my mind. Okay, so the instructor was teaching the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. Someone brought food, and the old man invited Wen to eat with him. Looking around, Wen saw the people there were similar to those on the outside, but the place itself was beautiful and serene. On the west side of the house, ten more people were playing very beautiful music. As he listened, a server finished preparing a meal, and they all ate. Feeling very comfortable and half drunk, Quan Tong stopped drinking. His name's Wen Guantong. He started to observe the people 
out on the streets. They dressed no differently from those in the outside world. At that time, that would have been ancient attire, right? Right. But the place was very peaceful and just so beautiful. It would have been very hard to find anything like it in the outside world. Guantong felt like he wanted to stay there forever. He wanted to stay, of course, but the old man said that that wasn't possible and told the boy to lead Wen out. What is this place? Wen asked the boy. The boy replied, those scholars were sages to escape the brutality of the Jie, that's the last emperor of the Xia dynasty around 1800 BC. They came here following Taoism and became immortals. The instructor is He Shang Gong from the Han dynasty. I am Wang Fusi from the Han dynasty. I came here for clarification on some questions related to the Tao Te Ching. After working here as a servant for 120 years, I'm still a gatekeeper and have not yet obtained the essence of the Tao Te Ching. As they reached the entrance of the cave, Wen bid farewell to Wang again and again, thinking they would never see each other again. Outside the entrance where, you know, he entered originally. So outside the entrance, Wen was surprised to find that his bow and arrows that he had shot the boar with were completely decomposed. Like they were, or they were decomposing, I guess you could say. When he returned to the village, he was told that 12 years had passed, even though he seemed to have only spent a little while away. His family had already held a funeral for him. When he showed up in the village, everyone was shocked. After some time, Wen and some of the villagers went to the cave. The entrance was blocked by a giant rock, and they could not budge it. <sighs> That's, I mean, okay, so we looked at this one in particular. Because, because I wanted to understand um, what the, 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 the reality, the, the main point of this was. And what we saw, this one was kind of complicated because what we saw was that there were bits and pieces of other older stories and newer stories put into one. So we're, like what, we're, what we were seeing with this particular story was that there was this sort of like overarching cultural influence to create the basically the overall story but the central core of it going into the whole site on the time dilation is 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 one of the realities in the story okay it's like okay so with the Dao De Ting, Dao De King Dao De Ching however Dao De Ching the um the the lessons within that are infused into the story so there's like this whole cultural side of it that goes into how the immortals teach, right? So this didn't all actually happen in one single event, right? This is like all these others put together into one, what we were seeing. But this whole time dilation thing is something that showed up and shows up in previous ones too, right? Where, where you go into one of these locations you go into one of these portals or you spend time underground, there's some type of gravitational anomaly, which is creating a time dilation, whether you go through a portal or not, and you have missing time, basically, or you appear way later than you should have. But this is something that shows up over and over again. It's merely that whole, it's, it's that whole like gravitational anomaly situation. At, right. If you're talking like pure 3D reality. But when you go through the portal, it creates more, of a time dilation. You don't know where you're going to end up when you go through the portal. Very interesting. And you know, that makes sense that that's more like it's, 
like the contents are true, but the but the stories being pulled from a lot of different places and what's passed down is this kind of compilation of things that have several of the stories. Yeah, exactly. Up. And right. you know what's really cool is that that a lot of these sort of um, things that were happening to these people in China were culture creators. They were like beings in a sense who were giving culture and they're all very spiritual advanced yeah. types of beings and so they're giving they're giving spiritual ideas into the culture through these events they're 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 in a sense planning these meetings with these people to shape the direction that their culture is going to go on the spiritual side and that's one of the things that's really cool about this because it it most always begins going underground because that is always the frequency that they're creating their hole to go to move back and forth at they're creating the frequency because of what the land is holding i don't know i mean this is just so crazy and fascinating because i don't see that a whole lot very rarely when we get into the western stories so it's like it's like in the chinese culture they're they're keeping these stories more or less true they're truer back to the source than they are in the Western world. Like we were talking about with the Odyssey, almost written right. entirely by Homer, could have been some truth mixed in there for sure. But it was almost like a story with the mythology built in. Whereas this right. is like beings actually arranging the culture to be passed down and embedded into the culture as they move forward. Exactly. Exactly. And that, I mean, that's like so fascinating because it takes me back to Genghis Khan. And I feel like Genghis Khan had a lot to do with this, a lot to do with the setup for this. For I, some I, reason, I agree. the guy was, 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 was focused on being more in the shamanistic realm in the animistic realm. And though that's a very accepting place to be for all sorts of other experiences and events. And, and that ultimately, I think that set the groundwork for all of this. Almost like, Genghis Khan gets a bad rap. People, yeah, he does. It's like we're not talking about Mussolini or something like that here. We're just like this guy was like, this guy was like. If you read some of his like what he wrote and some of the things that he did, this was seemingly more of a man on a mission to to bring China together, right? In, in a different way, and also bring a lot more of the world in and connect china to these other places marco polo going to hang out with him for a while i mean think about how incredibly important that whole thing was for the future of our entire world i mean you know it's really it's really weird and and then this story that genghis khan's historian wrote about being being in the mountains and some of the accounts, it almost sounded to me like these wagas that we had talked about in one of our previous episodes these almost elvish beings that were living or are living we don't know uh, at um mount shasta in california where where it's like you know you're walking up the mountain and you see something out of your corner of your eye and you look and then it's not there but you know or you do look and it is there and then it disappears later on or whatever right how does this stuff maybe they're completely entirely in this dimension or they have the power to go in and out of this dimension yeah that's normally what it is like that's normally what we see is that they straddle they straddle and they have a, a broader awareness of both dimensional realms. So they're able to move back and forth. Like what if there was some, some type of genetic capability 
bred into some beings where they can shift in and out of dimensions, you know, because, you know, a lot of this stuff we see with cryptids, they seem to be straddling that and they seem to be able to go into another uh, realm and then come back into our realm. Is that like specifically sometimes like a location or is that sometimes a genetic capability that they can just do that they've evolved with that over time? Well, sometimes it's a little yeah. bit of both. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, why can't it be both? It's sort of like humans. Like, I believe that within our genes or even within our mind, we're much more capable of the things than we think we are. There were these studies done on psychic, like what are psychic genes, right? And, and one thing that was found in this study, I can't remember what gene it was or what LL it was, but if a person has this, this specific gene that causes them to be more psychic, if they don't practice it, don't use it, and they don't teach their children how to use it and whatnot, it gradually goes away. This gene starts to basically shut off and it, it will, it will be genetically gone down the generations because it's a developmental process, right? So, so genes, DNA, the gene expression is com completely connected to our own abilities and whether we use those abilities or not. If well, you, if you don't use it, it's going to go away. We know as much about the theory of relativity and where Einstein was going with that as we do about genes and what the potential of genes are. I mean, we're, we're touching the surface of all of these things, claiming that we know all of this stuff about them, when in reality, we, we, don't we have a percentage of knowledge about those things. And it's probably yeah. a low percentage, like a pathetic exactly. low percentage. Yeah. We want to be the one that found things all the time. We want to be the one that knows. But in reality, why can't we just be humble and constantly learn and stop searching for that fame? Yeah, well, you know, it's it, it, in society, like science, for instance, just becomes dogmatic. It, and, it and that's the big danger is, is being yeah. dogmatic and thinking that, you know, it's kind of like when you get to uh, structures of the mind and how the mind works, the brain, and how we have this base experience of something impacting our nervous system, which happens in silence. And then the nervous system starts to translate that into language, into words. We go down these pathways of of abstraction on top of abstraction on top of abstraction into these super high level concepts about an initial experience that impacted our nervous system and think that the words we create around it are what it is, but it's not. And so there's where the big problem lies. And then we get so tied up in the high level concepts when it's only just language, right? We get tied up in these high level concepts about the initial experience and never go back to the initial experience to re-experience and explore. And that's one of the big problems. Right? And that's when things become dogmatic. The very thing that certain scientists, not all of them, of course, but certain scientists have fallen into are the things that they were complaining about with religion in the first place. You know, we're, we're talking about like, it, it, I mean, it is. It's like, and they, they will not admit that there are dogmatic things going on within science. But if you look at the way that the science is structured, it's it's scary similar to some of these more influential religions that right. have kind of taken certain stances and ways of doing things you know again it's like how do we know the truth if if we're just staying in a, the same 
echo chamber. You know, this isn't me encouraging people to not believe or to break out of their religion or their science or whatever it is. More just like, hey, we don't know everything. A lot of times science will assume this one thing is true, absolutely true. And then people get attacked if they go against it. And then later on, it's it's shown to be not true or only a tiny aspect of the truth or there's something that takes it into a new realm. And so I think there's there, there's a big, huge wall on actually being able to explore a lot of this stuff and get funding for it. Um, and that's really what it comes down to is that everybody needs to eat and everybody needs some kind of funding if they're working in that realm. And if they are not playing the game, they aren't going to get that funding. So it's it's one of the down the downfalls yeah. of, of science like th this would never be admitted probably publicly. But what you said is is exactly it. You know, it claims to be an objective source for finding f physical truth. Like but then everything that you're doing actually is to get that next grant. Right. <laughs> there is an, something's not right here. Right. right. Like if you're, if you're, it's comp, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of, and actually even the way that it's set up to attack those that go against your initial theory is this sort of unsaid rule to protect the scientists that came before them rather than actually search for truth. I mean, these are very human things that are going right. on. Right? And you know, what's really interesting, you know, Graham Hancock had pointed this out as well as others. Uh, they, they talk about the absolute character assassination and shaming tactics within peer review. It's brutal. It's peer review can be, I mean, scientists will go just it's hazing over each other. Yeah. It's hazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not it's like, no, it's not, not only that, but it's like, it's actually unethical and immoral. Right. And they won't admit it in journalism. You can't do that. And this is why Graham Hancock doesn't fit into that whole paradigm is he's like, no, actually like it's completely not classy at all to bring that into this. And it's beside the point. And you're deflecting from the actual, from the actual subject we're trying to talk about. Like you look like a fool. And so he, he's for the first time is actually legitimately, not the first time, a lot of people have attempted this, but he's effectively pointing these things out and they can't stand it. And therefore right. everything that he brings forth is problematic for them and for everything that they're trying to keep. He's not in that, in that game with them. And I don't agree with everything Graham Hancock says, but I love that he's doing what he's doing. You know, it's like, I agree with everything he's doing. I don't necessarily agree with his outcomes all the time, but I'm also like, I'm, I'm cool with them. I'm like, it's a great, it's a great perspective. And I'm like, totally open to it, you know? Right. Well, we need more people who are, are kind of poking at the bear to bring yeah. in new ideas and different ways to think about things than the yeah. same old way that we know is based solely on social engineering for the most part, not solely, but for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be clear, metaphysical isn't poking the bear. We're shooting it with a machine gun. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, John, I've got, I've got another amazing story uh, from the song dynasty or no, this is the Jin dynasty. Excuse me. The man's name is song Shan. And he was a man of the Jin dynasty. According to people, there is a big hole in the north slope of Songshan Mountain. 
not knowing how deep it is. And the people would go to the top of the hole every year to, to play and to watch. I don't know if it was a ritualistic thing or not. I'm reading a translation. So so this old man uh, who was there, he once lost his footing and fell into this hole uh, on near Songshan Mountain. And the people who traveled with him hoped that he would not die while he was down there. The hole was so deep. So they threw something to eat into the hole. <laughs> it was like chuck some food down there. Oh, yeah. You fall down a hole. Here's a power bar. I'm just going to toss <laughs> some power bars down for you. Good luck. Yeah. Like not a rope, a power bar. <laughs> God bless him. Right. All right. So anyway, uh, who knows what the hole was like or whether even a rope was something that they could throw down there. We're just kind of joking around. But the old man at the bottom of the cave, cave, he 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 sees the food, he eats it, and then he walks along the bottom of the cave. After walking for more than 10 days, he suddenly saw a bright light in front of him. And there was a straw hut. This is probably like a bamboo hut or something where two immortals were sitting and playing chess, probably Chinese chess. And there were a few cups of white water beside the chess table. The old man tells the immortals that he, he's thirsty and hungry, of course. He's been walking for 10 days, right? And they give him the water to drink. After drinking this white water, the old man felt that his body had gained 10 times more strength. One of the guardians or the chess players asked the old man if he wanted to stay there. And the old man said he didn't want to stay. And the immortal told the old man, quote, there is a big well a few dozen places west from here, a few dozen paces west from here. And there are a lot of monsters in the well. So don't be afraid to jump into the well. You will come out naturally. And if you're hungry, you can eat from the bottom of the well. And he jumped into the well. There were many Chinese dragons in the well. This is what he, this is what he meant by monsters, okay? Now, Chinese dragons, for everybody at home, these are not Western, like those red, creepy red dragons that breathe fire. These are divine beings. Chinese dragons aren't negative entities, right? No. In fact, they're, they're quite divine. It'd be like some of these like uh, gr griffins or just right. heavenly lion beings and that you'd see in the West, I guess, right? If we're trying to draw a comparison. There are many Chinese dragons in the well, but when they saw the old man, they gave way to him. So the old man walked forward into the well. The well was full of green mud, but the smell was very fragrant. And after eating this mud that they told him to eat, these, these immortals, he was not hungry at all. And uh, so the old man traveled uh, for about a half a year before he left Mount Qingchen in Sichuan province and returned to Luoyang. The old man asked Zhang Ju what happened. Zhang Ju said, quote, the two men you met are guardians of the immortal hall and what they drank was jade syrup and what they ate was the pith of the dragon's cave. You have probably attained the immortal way, haven't you? Okay. Wow. So he went to look for that cave again, intending to find the immortals again. However, he could no longer find the cave. Yeah, because it was a portal. Yeah, it, it totally was. Went. <laughs> yeah, this and is you, fascinating. I mean, it, but you know, like the Ent moot in uh, the Ent meeting in in Lord of the Rings, where the 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 hobbits encourage these 
these Ents to have a meeting to try to fight for Middle Earth. And while these Ents are taking forever to meet, these two are drinking the Ent water and they're growing in stature and whatever it is, right? Like something about this food or this these things in another dimension, the white water, the milky water, the the pith of the dragon's layer is giving some divine um, nutrients to the body, it seems. You know, it's interesting. I, I think there are these some of these stories uh, coming from the Western Western world, Western side, where if you go into the underworld, do not eat the food because the food will end up keeping you there. Once you partake of the food, it ends up keeping you there. Um, so this is like totally different than... I think the underworld, they're probably talking about like lower astral planes. So if you go to the lower astral planes, don't eat the food. If you go to the higher astral, whatever higher dimensional realm, I guess it's okay because that's mana. It sounds like mana. I mean, we've remote viewed that before. And when we, when we remote view like what it is, it's like remote viewers aren't going to get like, they're not going to like name a food substance necessarily. Like pomegranates. They just describe, like remote viewers describe, exactly. Remote right. viewers describe things as opposed to name things because that's actually the reality. The, the low level impacts on the nervous system, low level descriptions is actually the reality of what things are as opposed to the high level con conceptual words that we give them. So remote viewers don't go into that. But we always get this high vibrational energetic substance that heals the body. It doesn't actually matter what food it would be contained within, right? So like, like mana can be contained in a cup of coffee, for instance, or like in a pomegranate or something else. It's the energetic construct of it that can be in just about anything is what it is. Even in green mud, hey, you know, I mean, why the heck not? <laughs> Well, it, yeah, it is. It is like the mud in a divine realm. I mean, look, in the past on Earth, people would if they had a cut, they would literally pick up dirt from the ground and smear it on their cut and it would heal the cut. Right. Like what happened to our dirt? Right now, if you do that, you're going to put dirt in your wound and it's going to become completely infected and you're going to have to cut your arm off. <laughs> right. <laughs> Something happened. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this isn't people being crazy. This is a different time on earth when the earth was pure. Maybe, you know, in some of the, if in these divine realms, if you, if you take this more microscopic material, whatever it is, and your, your body becomes a part of it or it, a part of your body, it will do the healing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the, this one time I had this experience just outside of remote viewing. It, it was like, uh, astral type of experience where I got pushed into this energy field that when I hit it, I heard the word mana and it was so interestingly nourishing as it went through my whole body that I I stayed up all night, like literally wow. stayed up all night because this energy that I heard, it was like embedded within it, mana just totally completely vibed me up. Like where I had more energy than I've ever had. It was just, so there's like this energetic construct that is, is really what it is when you get into the higher dimensional realms. And that can be translated to us through different foodstuffs. You know, what's so crazy about what you said, like that occurred to me when you were telling me that story is that this 
argument that philosophers had throughout history about whether matter and mind are one thing was almost displayed in what you said, because actually like words have energy. Like we, we, you and I both know that scientists out there might have a little problem with that, but actually words have energy. Why would, why would like these shamans and witches throughout history, like, why are there things called spells? Why do people do spelling? It's because words at whatever level we're at have some type of, of energy. Right. And so mana, the, what mana is, if you were to merge with that thing and the word and the energy behind it, you might have an experience like that where right. the matter and mind are, are sort of one thing at that moment, it comes through your body and then you're up all night because exactly right. Yeah. Right. I mean, really. you know, look at culture, look at our culture right now too. It's like, what is the predominant mind state that people are kept in? Even when you get into the more like, mm, I wouldn't say spiritual world, but like the more paranormal side, people tend to go towards the dark stuff and they'll take the unknown and turn it into something dark whether they know it's dark or not dark right if you put on any news station if you watch television or you go to regular news websites it's always negative like there's this whole construct that we're existing within to keep people down into a negative mind state this energy becomes the all-pervasive energy that moves through cultures but if if you can literally like engineer people into anything is what it appears to be like you can turn those things around and produce new concepts that bring in a different energy that will change people towards that in that direction and you know when you get into thoughts as a construct and an energy that can engineer people that's what they are doing they're presenting it for the purpose of engineering what's the point in constantly being in the negative side when it's so simple to just flip yourself to be in the positive side. This is what I always find really interesting in our culture currently. It's, it's very, very damaging overall to spiritual growth for a lot of people. There was this one clip that I remember I saw, you know, I'm like flying through Instagram the other day and it was, a f it was this one clip from Deepak Chopra, which whatever, it's Deepak Chopra. But what he said was really interesting because he was talking about an experiment that was done on rabbits. Make sure the sound... Ohio State University, where they were feeding rabbits diets that were extremely high in cholesterol. And they found to their amazement there was one group of rabbits that never got the high cholesterol levels. After a while, they found out that the technician who was feeding these rabbits, instead of just throwing the food at them, he would stroke them and pet them and cuddle them and kiss them and then feed them the same poisonous food. But now as a result of that experience of happiness, they made chemicals inside their brain and the body that turned the cholesterol into a completely different metabolic pathway. So it's not just the food you eat, but what your awareness, what your consciousness and your state of emotions is at the time you're eating. Your state of mind can convert nectar into poison and the other way around to poison into nectar. This is like uh, Ayurveda, right? This is, this is Ayurveda, where you don't eat if you're angry or sad. You want to have a good feeling when you're... Yeah, this is absolutely 100% true. I mean, he's dead on. But I get angry when I don't eat. <laughs> you get hangry, not angry. Yeah, angry. angry, right. Um, yeah. No, what's so cool about that, though, is I think that we put far too much emphasis on the things that are physical and less on 
what is the state of our right. mind exactly. when we do exactly. things? And it should be the opposite. Well, I mean, okay. So you ever watch like these um, chef competition shows or like, or like uh, who's the guy, Gordon Ramsay, Gordon chef Ramsay. Ramsay going into these kitchens and trying to fix them and stuff. There's so much ang anger and anxiety in these kitchens that I would never eat there. Not in a million years, because people don't realize that if you are cooking food for somebody, it's not about the food. It's about what you put into it from your heart or your anger. If you're going to give it, these amazing chefs who can put anything together and make it taste really good, it's going to taste a hundred times worse if they don't feel love and excitement while they're making it. And, and that's why, like, why art, why anything like the art of cooking, it's to get to a technical level so that you can put that love into it. Have you ever had a meal cooked by someone who just put an enormous amount of like love into it? And it you're it, it could be just like spaghetti or like in marinara sauce. And they and, used something, yeah. they could have even used a few things off the shelf, but you're sitting there eating it and you are confused why it tastes beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. It's the strangest thing. Yeah. Imagine if we really understood what we we're talking about right now, we would all treat each other way different. When there is that kind of attention and, and mindset behind everything, it would change the world. And I know that sounds like a hokey or whatever, but it's like, it would be the state of society. It would be. A higher level state of society. Maybe this is why those dimensional spaces people are finding. I mean, you remember what one of the stories we were just talking about said is he went to a place, everything looked the same as in ancient China, but it was so peaceful and so serene and so wonderful. He didn't want to leave, but he couldn't right. stay there. And then there was that other story from a previous episode where you know, I think the the well that they were drilling, he finds a hole. He's hearing pigs and chickens um, from inside the earth. He goes down into the hole and he appears in front of a palace and everyone in the palace comes out and says they smelled a foul stench in the air and they wondered what it was. And it was him and his miners because they were from the wretched human world, probably. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's like you can like I said before, you can socially engineer people into any mind state because people have learned how to just follow. And that's about it. And so that's the huge problem that we have right now. And, and it's a concerted effort to keep people in sort of a lower density, lower vibrational mind state most of the time in fear, in fear. I think it's really important to be able to to shut this stuff off to shut it off, to go in nature, because these, these thought constructs exist all around us all the time. And by going out in nature, for instance, we begin to disperse that stuff. We go to a more neutral place and we can see like what's really going on inside of us, as opposed to somebody always injecting us with these different energetic frequencies in order to live through them. I mean, if you really did your due diligence and researched every single culture that has fallen off the face of the earth, all of them fell into similar states to right. the ones that we're in right now. And, and I feel like there's a part of me that wonders, when are we going to learn? Is, is this an opportunity right now for us to, instead of meeting catastrophe, which honestly, it's a miracle we're all still here as it is with the development of science, the but atomic are bomb. we, are we really here? 
yeah, well, I mean, I think we are. I mean, I think it's easy. Like, there's a lot of people out there saying, hey, this is the Matrix. This is this is whatever. But actually, like this whole my understanding is like, look how blind we all are. We cannot tell our ass from our elbow. I'll be honest. This world is the Matrix. It is a world of delusion. It was created to be a world of delusion. How do we find our way and how do we become truly good? within all of this and what lessons do we need to have in order to get to that state? And I feel like we're in the middle of one right now. I mean, are we going to come out of it and actually become better and more solid as a human race slash civilization and renew ourselves? Or are we going to fall to the wayside and just end in a destructive ball of fire, which has basically happened every other time? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My my opinion on that is that humans have to pull their heads out of the sand when it comes to well, what yeah. is actually going on here and how they are actually led by their nose through this old structure that they're living within, this older, more controlling structure that they're living within. People are brainwashed to the hilt. Um, and there has to be a understanding of that. And until people truly realize it, I don't think, I think things are just going to continue the way, the way that they are. I think for the most part, people are cattle for something else. Yeah, I think they are. But I also think that there's, there's that hope, right? That maybe, maybe there is like, there is a strange waking up of sorts going on. Like, I mean, just think about it in the early 1900s or even between 1900 and 1945, 50, who really knew that, that the forces of the world were really organized against them. And I don't necessarily mean physical. I I mean, metaphysical as well. Like who really, really understood that? Like people seem to be in the process of awakening to those things, even if they're still making a lot of mistakes, which is new. Yeah, slowly, right? Yeah. You know, for those of you out there, um, you know, we hope you enjoy this podcast today. Um, you know, we're going to keep shooting that bear with a machine gun as far as John and I are concerned, <laughs> trying to poke it as much as we can and 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 hopefully find through these discussions, there's a lot of physical stuff that we talk about, but honestly, a lot behind what we're, what we're discussing is, is metaphysical. It is, it is the philosophical things that, that come about from this, because I think there is much more to the world uh, than this political facade that seems to be being pushed in our face all the time. And why not learn something from that? Right. So, John, hey, thanks for being with us today. Uh, I think this was a really, really interesting. We're going to keep coming back to the China subject. I mean, this is just every time we get a little bit close to this, we find new things where we're just like, what is going on? Yeah. over there? Yeah. And what can we learn from? Right. Right. So right. Right. let's let's keep doing that. And, um, you know, John, thanks so much for being here with us. And for those of you at home, we hope you thought this podcast was as out of this world as we did.